Hey, how's it going, guys? Welcome back to the H2B podcast. Here we are. We've got a very special episode today. We got some guests in studio. We'll get to that in a minute. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode where I taught you all about what an episode zero is for your podcast. And then for that, we were getting into uh, a little bit of analytics and what those mean. So if you're wanting to build out your analytics or know how to read analytics on your podcast or for your podcast, go check those episodes out. We uh, There's three there and they should be fairly timeless at least for the next few years as far as how to read analytics about your show and things like that. And then again, last week we talked about episode zeros, why you should do one, maybe why you shouldn't do one, what they mean and how to put one together. You know, it's pretty simple. And then another layer of that, I did a how-to video that's actually on the H2B's Facebook page on a kind of the basics of editing and how I put together a basic podcast edit. So if you want to know how to put your own show together, go check those out. And uh, if you're wanting to do your own show or rent some studio time, hit us up here at H2B. You can book some studio time, use our green screen. We've got multicam set up, all that good stuff. Come on down, check it out, and uh, we'll be glad to help you out. For this episode, we've got the uh, marketing development officer, Chris Berryman, and the executive director, Natima Walker, from the Greenhouse Child Advocacy and Sexual Assault Center joining us to talk a little bit about what it is that they do, how they uh, help the community, some things that go into that. And I'll give a little forewarning. If you, you know, maybe you're listening to this uh, while you're sitting in traffic or you're picking kids up from school or something, I do want to provide a slight content warning on this. It is a Let's say it's adult language or anything, but it is more mature conversation. So if you've got children in the car, maybe wait to listen to this one. Um, but it's needless to say, it's a great episode. It's awesome stuff that I think we all need to hear. And uh, yeah, Chris and Atima walk us through kind of uh, what it is that they do at the greenhouse, how it is that they help victims of abuse and sexual abuse and things like that. And it's a great informative episode. So I hope you like it again. Maybe wait to uh, not listen to this with the kids around. But other than that, it's a great episode and I hope you enjoy. But yeah, we've got some guests in here with us today. We've got Chris Berryman and Atima Walker. I'm going to try to read some copy from y'all's website because I thought it was it was just apt. But uh, yeah, research shows that the systemic response of child abuse and sexual assault, if mishandled, is more traumatizing than the abuse itself. The greenhouse provides a neutral, trauma-informed central location for response, increasing the best chance for positive outcomes for victims and their support systems with forensic medical exams, interviews, prevention, education, and trauma-focused therapy and support groups. So they're going to tell us a little bit about this. And uh, yeah, you guys are right across the street. So Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank yeah. you. We're very excited to be on your podcast. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. Uh, yeah. I guess just tell us a little bit about what the greenhouse doesn't about. I mean, said it there, but yeah. Yeah. The, a <laughs> there's a lot of language in there that doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> to, to most people. So that's that's normal. Um, essentially, what we try to do is um, be a one stop shop mm. after reports of child abuse or sexual assault. So back in the magical place that was the 90s, if a child made a disclosure of abuse at school, they would have to talk to the school counselor. They would have to talk to the school principal. They'd have to mm. talk to DFACS and then law enforcement and all these other people. So the idea of a child advocacy center is that the child makes the outcry Law enforcement will be contacted or DFACS will be contacted, and then they refer the child to us. And so law enforcement and DFACS show up. They watch the forensic interview, so they're getting the information that they need for their investigation. We connect the child and the caregiver to services. Um, And the idea is once we complete the forensic interview, hopefully the child doesn't have to keep Mm -hmm 
talking to different people because what we've noticed is repeating your trauma is not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also there were, it created issues with prosecution, all that kind of stuff, because none of us tell the same story twice. Mm-hmm. I've talked about the greenhouse more times than I can count, but I guarantee you I'm not saying it the same way that I did the first time mm-hmm. I did a presentation or the second time. And so a lot of those discrepancies were actually used to discredit children. So the idea of the greenhouse is we bring the system to the child rather than the child to the system. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, you guys are clearly more involved with this than I am, but it's always something that's kind of been, I don't know, it's the dark arts to me. Anybody that's looking <laughs> around with that, like, I'm not about that. So. Yeah, it's it's very, it's an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people yeah. to address. And it's, it's one of those, there's a sort of cognitive dissonance with it because the less we talk about it, the more prevalent it becomes. Mm-hmm. So what we have found and what the research shows, all of our practice is based in research. We don't just develop policies and procedures just because yeah, yeah. We, we like them. Everything that we do is based in research. And what the research shows us is the more communicative that we are as a family, as a community, mm-hmm. um, as a whole, the less likely it is to happen yeah because this is the sort of epidemic that thrives in secrecy mm-hmm. so we want to to sort of lift that veil yeah no that's awesome i could kind of see a similar thought like that i mean even going across like mental health and absolutely that's a very like good parallel board of just uh yeah put it out there like the less we talk about it the more pervasive and Yes. Annoying it is to deal with. Well, think about any crime. Think about mm-hmm. any any crime. People don't commit crimes out in the open where they're going to get caught. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and there's usually a way that they have a plan in their mind of how they're going to get away with it. Triple that for sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Because we all know the stigma that's attached to someone who's even accused. And so they're going to be even more developed from a from a criminal standpoint. They're going to focus more on secrecy. They're going to exploit every weakness that they see in the family. Any lack of communication or attachment that the child has to the caregiver will be used against that child mm-hmm. in order to gain access and subsequently abuse them. Well, and what's amazing about that, too, and what you guys are doing is kids don't necessarily have the mental facilities to know know that they're like being gaslit or mm-hmm. anything like that. So yes, I feel like that's a super important. That's why it's yeah. on adults. Yeah. You know, we do, we do have an arm of our prevention outreach is obviously geared towards children because we want to empower children mm-hmm. and sort of remove the stigma that they may have. But we also want to educate adults um, to have the conversations with children Without shame Mm -hmm. or judgment or anything like that, because a lot of the mechanisms that allow for the abuse to happen are what keeps the abuse Mm -hmm. in the dark. And it allows that person to move from one child to the next child. I can't think of any offender I've ever had that had just one victim. Yeah. There's always more. Yeah. They started somewhere. Hopefully it ends, you know, when this mm-hmm. child discloses, but it's that secrecy and it's that reluctance to have the conversation that allows it to happen to begin with. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you guys have been going, I think it was 1995. Yes. It's on the website. Yeah. So 20 yeah. years. Yeah. And it was under the district attorney's office when it was first founded, the greenhouse, but that's a conflict for us. Our work product needs to be independent mm-hmm. from the system. And I, I am a forensic interviewer. I've done an upwards of 400 forensic interviews now. And there's a freedom that comes when you're doing that forensic interview, knowing that the district attorney can't come in and fire me because mm-hmm. I didn't get a disclosure out of this kid. That's not the purpose 
purpose of a forensic interview. It's supposed to be a structured, non-leading conversation. Mm -hmm. So they use our work product, but at the same time, we are independent from them. Mm -hmm. And that's very important to ensure that we're fair to everyone involved. When I've got a question, what exactly, uh, I guess, said you're a forensic interviewer. Yes. And so that's obviously different than a therapist, but what does that entail? That's a, a lot of yeah. people conflate the two. Yeah. So that's that's a fair question. Um, a forensic interview is a structured, non-leading conversation with a child where we elicit a child's memory about an event or a series of events. The goal is that you go into that room and I'm not the expert. The child is the expert. The mm -hmm. child is the one whose memory is going to be used to fill in the gaps that law enforcement defects will go out and try to find evidence to corroborate it. So if I'm talking to an eight-year-old who says that he was abused at a, at a cookout and uncle so-and-so almost caught whoever was abusing him. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement is then going to go talk to Uncle So-and-So and say, hey, did you see anything awkward at the cookout you were at? You see what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. But I don't know that before I talk to the child. Yeah. I have a very sparse scaffolding mm -hmm. of information before I have that conversation. And it's a different way of talking because, you know, kids are used to talking to adults who know all the mm -hmm. answers. Yeah. Right. And I don't. So we actually have to practice a little bit in the beginning of the interview um, and explain to them, you know, I, I don't have the answers. You have the mm -hmm. answer. There's a lot of yielding to the child yeah. because it doesn't matter what I think happened. It matters what the child says. Mm -hmm. So it's my job to get those details, not to assume guilt, innocence, anything like that, but just to get their details in a non-leading way because little people want to tell big people what we want to hear. Mm -hmm. So I don't have anything that I want to hear when I go into that room. I just want to know what they remember. Yeah. I don't know. I can imagine that's pretty hard because just dealing with kids on just a normal basis and yes. getting like hey what'd you do at school today we sat <laughs> every day yeah. every day well and and so it's interesting that you bring that up tanner because that's one of the we call that narrative practice mm -hmm. and so what i will do to prompt the child in the beginning before we talk about any allegations or anything is i'll say tell me everything that you do on a day that you go to school from the time you open your eyes until you get back home mm -hmm. And the kids will say, well, first we do math and then we do this and we do that. And I'll say, do you wake up at school? No. <laughs> well, you said that yeah. you wake up and do math. Is I don't is school in your bedroom? <laughs> and then they're like, no, no, I wake up. So we really have to prompt them to let them know that we do need those details, especially with an elementary school age mm. child. And everything has to be developmentally appropriate. So the way that I speak to a 16 year old is not the way that I'm going to interview a six year old. Mm -hmm. But the um, structure that we use is flexible. So it works on all ages. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm just kind of blown away by that actually. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> kind of all of it. Just the fact that it exists. Yeah. It, uh, I don't know. I just feel like it's a super important thing that exists in general because I don't know. I grew up, you hear about the boogeyman of like, Hey, you kids want some candy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, do you know how much easier my life would be if all I had to do was chase white vans? Yeah. There, yeah. I've, I don't have stranger cases. My life would be easier if I did. I, I don't. I, I, and that's a real I, misunderstanding, it's right? Such about a, yes. It's such a, yes. Stranger as far as like a strange person. Correct. Uh, not, that's weird. Yeah. Right, right. An unknown 
offen- yeah, yeah, alleged offender. Yeah. So that's that's a huge misconception, and and I'm I'm going to age myself a bit, but um, I'm 41 years old, and I remember when um, and they actually just released a documentary about the my name is I know my name is Stephen case from way back in like the late 70s, and it was this whole big story about this man who kidnapped this young man and and took him with him and had him for years, and eventually he escaped. Mm-hmm. And because of the fanaticism around that, it sort of breeds this narrative in the culture that as long as I watch my children in public restrooms at, at you know, the grocery store, anything like that, they are safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you don't need to do that. Of course, watch your kids. But what people really need to understand when we talk about safety is that the grooming of the child is one piece. They're going to groom the caregiver, too. Mm-hmm. They're going to build rapport with that caregiver as well. And so it's not just a matter of teaching children to see the signs of grooming, but also a matter of teaching the caregiver Mm -hmm. to see the signs. And because this is a crime of access, Mm -hmm. you can't have access without some sort of trust. Mm -hmm. And the trust is the thing that allows it to happen. But the loss of the trust is the trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a one, two punch when it comes to um, children processing that. And my life would be much easier if it were if it were stranger danger. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have, I know I wouldn't have a job mm-hmm. at all because I think I've had two cases mm-hmm. involving uh, an unknown offender. And then we eventually identified them and you know, that that was it. When I imagine, even if you have one, that's like, well, this looks like it was just stranger danger. Some guy that if you start digging enough, I imagine you start to find the threads connecting back. There's always a threat yeah, of, Oh, they happen to work next door where they took karate class or yes. so on and so forth. Yes. Yeah. 63% of um, of offenders begin offending when they're juveniles. There's always a past. And then generally, would it be fair to say that like a good portion of offenders, they come from sexually abusive past themselves? Do you believe that? I feel like I've heard that and it seems that way. Like it mm-hmm. almost seems like kind of a vampirical that is false. Cycle. That is false. That is false. That is false. That is false. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that's part of, and it's understandable why you would think that because that is the, again, the cultural narrative, yeah, yeah. right? But the truth is what, um, we actually contracted with a lady, um, named Corey Jewel Jensen, who is just my personal hero. And she has interviewed sex offenders for like 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So she's getting all this information mm-hmm. direct from the source. Who better, you know, to, to interview. And what her research found was that a lot of times, you know, sort of like what goes in to the to the making of an alleged offender Mm -hmm. or an offender. And what her research found is that there would be some sort of sexual experience in that offender's youth that wasn't necessarily abuse, Mm. but it triggers that part of the brain that may or may not be ready to enter into the pubescent phase. Mm. And because of that, that person's sexuality and their pathology is forever tied to that age. Ah, that makes yes. a lot of sense. Yes, yeah. yes. It makes a ton of sense. So almost like they psychologically 
hit they're puberty stuck. They're before stuck. they physically hit puberty? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Wow, and, that makes a ton of sense. And what's, what's interesting is, is once, once a human being has that first sort of encounter with something that is new and different and, and of a sexual nature, the physical follows. So it is common for us to see, unfortunately, you know, a nine-year-old who is well-developed beyond his or her years. Hmm. because they have sustained abuse, because our bodies respond. We have a biological response yeah. um, that's uncontrollable for any any person. But what we find is that that's actually, a, it's a myth. By and large, it's a, it's a myth. There's just this sort of moment where something new and, and sexual happens, and then sometimes they get stuck. Yeah. And they don't move forward. Yeah. Just like an arrested development. Situation. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And it and it doesn't happen to everyone who has mm. an experience like that. You know, just because your your seven year old sees, you know, a, an issue of Playboy, don't, please don't mm. think that they're, you know, going to be a sex offender. But I would tell you that the th- what we are fighting now is the Internet in terms of just access to pornography yeah. and children accessing it and then subsequently acting out on it. Mm. That is another big wave um, in my field that we're fighting and trying to figure out a way around it. That that's actually it's actually a myth. It's a myth that I, too, believed before yeah. no, I started this work that up because I've I've always thought of this stuff as the dark arts and just like, why would anybody do this stuff? So it made sense to me. It's like, well, hurt people hurt people. So sure. it made sense to me in that way. But yeah, what you said, that makes way more sense that it would just be a maybe a single event that just kind of arrests them. Well, and I think too that that narrative yeah. allows for some um, absolution mm-hmm. for the people who commit these crimes. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the demographics of who predominantly commits these crimes, I think that that may have something to do with it in the yeah. cultural narrative. And um, so that's where that's where it's just it's just false. Yeah. Now that makes wow. I'm glad you cleared that up because. Uh, yeah, one of the things I want to do is hopefully educate some people here <laughs> yes, today. So. Yes, that is false. I've got a question I want to get y'all's take on, uh, but I was curious. <clears throat> there's been a kind of a new resurgence of, a, well, not resurgence, but I've noticed that, I don't know, especially in the past 10 years, the awareness of child sex abuse has gone up. Like, I don't know, it just seems generally people know that it's a thing a little bit more. And then here in the past year or so, I used to do kind of a, a politics show where we would talk about just different stuff happening in the political world. And uh, one of them that came up was this acronym called MAPS. That's kind of this new thing. Minor Attracted Persons. Yes. And I am, uh, I'm like, nah, if you're going to, no, that's the dark arts, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, that's pedophilia. Yeah, that's pedophilia. And I don't like naming it something different. No. But I do understand the need to have a clinical term to discuss something because but again you're a pedophile man yeah (laughs) yes exactly right and there are there are people who will identify themselves Mm -hmm. as being pedophiles but here's what's what's interesting tanner is that the term pedophile is thrown around way loosely Mm -hmm. okay pedophilia is actually related to a person who is only attracted many of the crimes that we investigate are crimes of opportunity. And the way that I would say it is it's the difference between someone eating, like if you have a charcuterie board, okay, and the only thing on the charcuterie board is grapes. Mm -hmm. It's just grapes, right? 
So all, all you're going to eat off that board is, is great. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at another charcuterie board, there could be some brie, there could be some whatever. And so there's different things, but also grapes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's one of those situations to where a person who is um, a pedophile, that is their pathology entire. Okay. Whereas a person who is a sex offender or a child molester, they probably have had normal, in quotes, sexual relationships with adults. Mm. It's part of what they enjoy, but it's not all that they enjoy. Yeah, that makes sense. So they would still just go for the grapes. They they would yeah. they would go for the grapes, but they also don't mind, you know, the mm. crackers or the cheese yeah, or whatever yeah. else. Like it's it's good. Um it's it's part of a person's pathology. Mm. And so that's where and, and to your point, the sanitization of minor attracted persons. Um, I, as someone who, who has sat across from hundreds of kids, do you think that they care if this is just you're a minor attract? No, the trauma is the same. The trauma is the same. That's how I look at it. And it's just, uh, you can label it however you want to, but as someone who has, um, had conversations that are embarrassing and difficult for, for the victims, Mm -hmm. the label that the offender decides to give themselves, I hope it makes them feel better because Mm -hmm. it certainly doesn't help the children that I have to serve. And that's something in general that kind of bugs me with just language. Yes. In general of like, you'll see a lot of times in a, in the news, they'll say things like, uh, oh, it was an underage woman. No, no that's, that's a, a child. child. Yeah. It's a, a child. child. It's yeah. a child. So it's like things like that. If that it's are... a senator, it's an underage woman. If yeah. it's if it's yeah. Joe Blow mechanic, it's a child rapist. Yeah. And that's where I, I completely agree with you. Call these things what they mm-hmm. are. Because, again, sanitizing it, dialing it down, trying to relay. It doesn't change the fact that there is a crime and there's a victim and there's an offender. Mm-hmm. And the trauma is going to be the same for that victim no matter what. Um, R. Kelly, that case. Yeah, you had a lot of of young women who the way that that he presented to their parents, to to people who worked for him, all of these things was, well, you know, she's a little young. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, she's a little young, yeah. you know, but she's different. She's yeah. a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. She's a child. And in the state of Georgia, that's still a child. Mm-hmm. And you will still do the same time. No one's going to, no juror is going to care if you just say, well, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm just a minor attracted person. I can't, yeah. I can't, no yeah. one cares. <laughs> okay. I can't help it. Like, yeah. No one, ca- well, no one cares. And, and the truth is sexual pathology is arguably the most difficult component of your personality to change. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we have juvenile and juvenile cases where we have, you know, one child acting out on another child, we really want to double down on services because I know based on research that the more we do for the juvenile offender in that situation, the less likely they are to reoffend. When we treat juvenile offenders um, with, you know, certain modalities of therapy and behavioral therapy and, and caregiver therapy, they have like a 92% chance of never reoffending. So we can fix the problem if we address it and call it by its name Mm -hmm. versus acting like I didn't see my son doing that to another child or I didn't see, you know, what what I think I saw probably wasn't. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Just, you know, pick up the phone, make the report, get the services in place, and then they'll probably be fine. And, 
you know, for caregivers who who do find themselves caring for a child who's exhibiting behaviors that are concerning, understand that there's a lot of shame and embarrassment. You're going to feel like a failure as a caregiver. And I'm very empathetic to that. But imagine how you're going to feel when that same child turns out to be a sex offender and their face Mm -hmm. is plastered all over the newspaper. Yeah. So we really have to get ahead of the problem. Mm -hmm. And part of the way that we do that is by calling things what they are. Yeah. No, I'm 110% with you on that. Yes. Like, I just, the just watering down of it in the mainstream zeitgeist mm-hmm. is, it's like, man, it's the dark arts. It just, like, it just diminishes the victim so much. Yeah. It diminishes their experience. It diminishes, it diminishes their, their entire worldview and their, and their self, self-worth. Mm. Because am I an underage prostitute? Or am I a traffic child? Mm-hmm. Where is my identity as it relates to this thing? Mm-hmm. How does that define me as a person? Um, so what we say about the subject matter absolutely can can determine outcomes mm-hmm. for, for children. When just on the level of if you strip away the sexual abuse side of it or even just abuse of mm-hmm. it and it's solely just a lie or a mistruth that was told to a kid and where adults don't believe them for their entire childhood, that would cause enough damage, let alone you pack on top the abuse. Like, yeah, there you go. Part of the process of a forensic interview um, is, and, and sometimes when I'm talking to a child, I will hold my breath when I ask this question because I just, I'm, I'm just not wanting the answer to it, but I have to ask. And part of what I'll say is, you know, did you ever tell anyone? Mm-hmm. And and I cringe for a moment and they'll say, well, I tried to tell my mom, but she said that I just misinterpreted it because I never had a dad. Or they'll say, well, I told my teacher, but she told me that it probably wasn't what I thought. Those are heartbreaking moments mm-hmm. because a lot of times I'll say, okay, tell me when you told your mom. Um, it was around Christmas and I'll be talking to the kid in October of the following year. And this person's been allowed access the entire time unsupervised without any reason to think that they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's part of that process is just making sure that when a child makes a disclosure, say, thank you for telling me that, Mm -hmm. tell them that you're proud of them for telling you that, that you appreciate that they trust you. And then just say, we're going to take care of this. And then if you need to walk into the next room, have a complete and total meltdown behind the privacy of, of a door and pick up the phone and make the call and and let the system do what it needs to do so that we can protect your child. Awesome. I was going to ask you, uh, we're about to hit our time here, but uh, what's something, and I guess you need to say something, Chris, you're here. <laughs> Good. I'm not as eloquent as... He's lying. She's so well-spoken and is so passionate about our work. No, it's really good work you guys are doing. Like we have a whole, yeah. t- we have a whole team. Yeah. I know that that people hear my voice and see my high heels and my big hair most of all, but the truth is, I have such an amazing staff. Yeah, and I always think of that Sir Isaac Newton quote. If I'm able to see further, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel every single day doing this, doing this work. I have an amazing staff. That's the only reason that I'm I'm able to do it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, one last thing before uh, I'll throw it over to Chris here about some events. But um, what is one aspect of what, is, what you guys do that you think a large number of people misunderstand or 
Well, the general, the general public uh, doesn't understand what we do. And, and I know that I have um, started lying to people when I meet them the first time and just telling them I'm a tax accountant <laughs> because, <laughs> because nobody wants to talk yeah. to it to like a tax attorney or, or an accountant or any, I'm kidding. My apologies to all the <laughs> tax attorneys out there. But I used to hate telling people what I did because they're like, oh, God. And then like yeah. I wind up taking care of them when I'm just trying to eat my hamburger or yeah. whatever at this event. Um, but I think that when they hear the word forensic, they think that we have like blue lights and they think, and we do like our nurses, um, do examine bodies and we look for evidence and that sort of thing. But they also think that we work with the FBI. We do work with the FBI, but we are not the FBI. Yeah. We are not law enforcement. We are not defects. We are independent from them. But they mostly think that we're way cooler than, than what we actually are. I think. Well, we are cool. And you know, if I do a good job in marketing and development, I help sell what we do and raise that awareness amongst the community and not just the, the community of Whitfield and Murray County, but all across your listening area, all throughout Georgia, the East Coast, most parts of the United States have a child advocacy center. Mm -hmm. They have a sexual assault center. Are they combined like ours? Not always. So we are fortunate in Murray and Whitfield, and that's another aspect I try to market. Fingers crossed you never need our services, but wouldn't it be good to know what we do and with whom we work and what our services entail if, if you do, mm. or your neighbor, or someone at your place of worship, or your place of employment, and it's... And knowing that it's all free. It's mm. all free, which is another thing. When people say, what can I do? Well, what we provide children and caregivers and parents and adults is free of charge. Whether it's the interview Natima has mentioned, the exam she mentioned, or the therapy services, it's free. And that comes from donations. That's why we do special events. That's why we have social media. That's why we have a monthly giving program. You would be shocked at how much we can do with just a little. So I hope that your listeners will visit our website. It's we're, Our full name is Greenhouse Child Advocacy and Sexual Assault Center. So we break that down a little bit into some initials. So our website is Greenhouse C-A-C-S-A-C.org. And you can read all about us. You can visit our monthly giving webpage, which is advocateathome.org. From the comfort of your home, you make a monthly contribution and you are furthering the work. You look at the stats on those web pages and you know you're making that happen by donating, by talking about what we do, by, I'm going to break it down even farther by not being afraid to talk about what we do. Because Absolutely. as Natima said, and I can't say it any better, so much of what we encounter grows so well because it uses that fertilizer of secrecy. Yeah, said very well. Yeah, and we the other thing too is that all of our services are available in both English and Spanish for free. We don't bill your insurance. We don't do anything like that. We we are client focused and client led. Everything that we do and and based around research practices. Mm -hmm. So part of part of what we do with um, donations is we don't kick up to a national organization. 
the money stays here. And we serve our judicial circuit in Whitfield and Murray counties. It's the Conestoga Judicial Circuit. Uh, we work predominantly with four law enforcement agencies, but we also work with the FBI, the GBI, Department of Homeland Security on sex trafficking cases, anything like that. So all of that money that you donate, it, it stays here. There is no kick up the ladder. It, it's going to go right back into our community. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really We're cool. very proud of that. Yeah. Very proud of that. Was well, uh, is there anything you all want to talk about before we head out here? Or? Well, I do, Tanner, as a matter of fact, because it's also an opportunity for me to brag on you and H2B Creative because the Greenhouse CACSAC is starting their very own podcast. We are launching May 2022. The name of it is The Advocates, which is a great tie in with our Advocate at Home monthly giving program. The Advocates is a look behind the curtain, I like to say, of what happens at a child advocacy center and a sexual assault center, sexual assault center. And I mentioned we are special in that we have both of those under one roof and you learn about what you can do, no matter your role in the community, to educate and support and partner with us. In other words, how to be an advocate. And we would not be launching this podcast so soon were it not for you and the experts here at H2B Creative. You all have really helped us lay the foundation of knowledge to have a good production that will inform and educate and is a real call to action. So yeah. thank you for what you've done. Oh, man. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Oh, H2B has, has been amazing to us for, for years. Anytime that we needed artwork or anything like that, we mm -hmm. are so, so grateful because we do have limited resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we definitely appreciate the the support and the podcast. We're very anxious to get it out because so, so much of the fear is the unknown of how the system's mm -hmm. going to respond. And we want to help walk people through that. So if, you know, we don't ever want you to have to make that phone call, but if you do, we would like to make it to where you you at least have some sort of idea of what's going to happen mm -hmm. so that maybe there will be less hesitation. Mm -hmm. That's that's our goal. That's awesome, guys. Well, uh, anything else you guys want to drop before we close out here or anything people should know? I know the links that you mentioned, Chris, those will be in the show notes for those listening. So you don't have to remember the big long URL. Just click the show notes. Well, and we also have special events throughout the calendar yeah, yeah. year. So if you visit our website, follow us on social media, you'll be able to keep up to date on the great things we do to raise awareness and bring the community together, both in spirit and in the case of special events, physically together mm -hmm. in a safe way to champion this cause. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank, Thank you for you. having yeah. us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a fun episode and uh, informative, super informative. But I don't know about fun. <laughs> I had a good time. I had a good time. You are yeah. a fantastic host. Thank yes, you so much. Yes, thank you so much. Man, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed talking to them. So again, Chris, Natima, thank you for coming by. That was a uh, really good time. And uh, yeah, like they said, I mean, it's not a fun time, but I had a fun time interviewing them. They're good people. Like they said, what uh, the topics they were talking about, it thrives in the shadows. So, uh, you know, anything we can do to help fight that, I'm there for it. So, but yeah, I wanted to, I got a cop for something in my closeout here of the episode is, I'm sure you noticed that my audio, my own personal audio, Natima sounded great, Chris sounded great. My own personal audio did not. So, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm of the type of thought where you make a mistake, cop to it, learn from it, move on. And uh, so what happened here 
let's make this a learning learning situation is I didn't turn my microphone on. So the audio you're hearing is actually uh, of my voice in particular is being picked up through Chris and Natima's microphones. So that's why I sound a little tinny. That's why I sound a little, uh, my microphone doesn't sound as crisp and clean as I normally do on these. So uh, yeah, just make it a learning opportunity. And there you go. I mean, some of the things we'll talk about on here, as we've discussed here on the H2B podcast is, uh, is like how to produce podcasts and things like that. And yeah, I, something as simple as that, I did not turn my microphone on. <laughs> I had the monitor on, but not the microphone. So uh, yeah, that's what that sounds like for those interested in producing your own podcast. Learn it. Hope it helped. And uh, yeah, again, Chris Natima, thanks for coming by. This has been a another episode of the H2B podcast. And if you're interested in producing your own shows, hit us up at h2bcreative.com or h2bpodcast.com. Book some studio time. Come on by. We've got green screen or a chroma key. Otherwise, you know, got some cameras. We got some lights. We got sound. We got action. Come on by. Check it out. And uh, until next time, catch you later.